Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to release this community commentary episode of the PBC podcast. You may have heard me say it before, but I'm really, really interested in making this a community podcast. That means I want your voice on it. So as you're listening to the podcast playlist every month, if you have something to say, hit pause, open your voice memo app on your phone, and then send the voice memo to podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. This month, Leah Murrell did just that. Leah is the leader of our Omaha's chapter, and as you'll hear, the theme of adoption really hits home for her. If you want to see the podcast playlist that Leah is talking about, go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash adoption. We listened to three really interesting podcast episodes about adoption, and now we'll get to hear Leah's perspective as she listened. Hi, this is Leah from the Omaha chapter. A little bit about me, um, so you can gather why I feel a certain way about adoption, um, is that I was adopted at a week old and a planned private closed adoption. My parents' family physician had tried to help my parents get pregnant for three years and they were unable. And he had another patient that was a 22-year-old female that was planning on wanting to do adoption. And so he coordinated a private adoption, which never happens. This was small town Iowa in the early 80s, so it was just a different time. It was a closed adoption per my birth mother's request, and I feel like my parents probably wanted that as well. Um, They took me home about a week old, and they've told me since before I even knew what the word adoption meant that I was adopted, so that it was never a surprise to me, which I greatly appreciate them doing and can't imagine if it was any other way. There was a beautiful girl wearing a pink dress and white hairband. She was way more beautiful than I expected. Do you feel like you felt immediate love for her or did that grow in time? No, no, that grew in time. On the very first day living in the same house, she cried all day and the next morning came and I went to her room looking at my sleeping baby. I was so nervous, wondering, will she cry like yesterday again? And my daughter, Leah, finally opened her eyes and looked at me. And you know what? She gave me a smile. and. That was the moment which made me cry every time I thought of it. When the adoptive mother says that she takes home her baby and she's asked if she felt immediate love and she says, no, the baby cried and I didn't feel that, that immediate love, basically connection. I had... An opposite reaction, being adoptee, my mom and dad would say that I was loved from first sight, and they always instilled that in me, and yet I still remember them telling me all the time growing up that I was a colicky baby, and I, the only time I slept was in the car or if I was in a swing, and so I can't imagine that I was an easy baby, but they never once made me feel any doubt that from second one... I was loved and wanted. Robert Foley, Professor of Human Evolution at the University of Cambridge. There's an idea that's been 
widely employed and discussed in evolutionary biology, which is this idea of the selfish gene, the title of a book by Richard Dawkins. And it attracted an awful lot of attention because its basic idea was that we are the slaves of our genes and programmed to behave in selfish ways to look after ourselves. And in a way, what comes out of that was that any acts of altruism, so behaving in ways that are not in your own selfish interest, are unusual and difficult to explain in an evolutionary context. The selfish gene is a catchy phrase but in a way it hides the fundamental idea, which is a more interesting one. And this idea is that in evolution, clearly what is selected for is whatever benefits you. The selfish gene is an interesting thought. Honestly, I can totally see this. I'm in a science career and we're powered by our own genetics. But things aren't always mutually exclusive. Why can't a, a mother that can't have children medically fulfill a need for an adoptee that also needs parenting and love and support and care. I think it's perfect. I adopted children from Korea. Yeah, they were both in orphanages. So one I adopted when he was three, so he's been with us for 17 years. The other one I adopted when he was 14, so he's been with us six years. And I think that has got to be one of the biggest motivation why I adopted my two children because I felt so blessed because you know my adoption and I wanted to provide the same opportunity for these two children. I think it's so great that the South Korean man had adopted his two children from similar lives that he came from. It's an amazing pay it forward as well as he's getting to experience both being an adoptee and an adoptive parent. As an adoptee, I've thought about adoption. Um, we're currently trying for biological children, but I'm not opposed to it. But yet still, it's not the first choice option. I don't know why that is. I imagine it's something that's been culturally entwined in my mind. And um, that's just what, what we're doing at this point. I've never been in contact with my birth mother. I was able to figure out her name and, of course, did the mad Google searching as soon as I figured it out about a year ago um, without really any big leads. Honestly, I'm so happy with my life. I don't feel like there's anything lacking, that it's not necessary for me to feel complete by finding her. My birth father is unknown, and so I feel like that's even going to be more difficult to be able to find him which again is fine. I feel that there's been closure from the very beginning regarding that. I don't feel like I'm lacking or if there's something missing there. And also I'm not naive to the fact that, you know, if I were to find my birth mother, maybe it wouldn't be a good thing. Maybe that relationship would cause stress and harm to my current family. And I, I don't know if I'd want that and why change things if I'm happy right now. My adoptive parents have been extremely supportive if I wanted to find her they'd be perfectly fine with it more than anything I think health care health reasons um, for health history that kind of thing for when we want to have children was the most important thing to me but luckily now there's things like 23andMe and and genetic testing that can really help rule out some major um, issues that could be in my genetics The comfort is seeing my son with his family, whom I can no longer imagine him or myself without. 
He is an earnest child who seems to kick hard to keep his chin above water in the world, but his mother has a certain lack of sympathy that is good for him. I am ever astounded that I was able to see in her something that would still feel so right so many years later. The greatest proof of her commitment to openness is that she talks about me when I'm not there. I know that Holly represents me to my son in my absence and always encourages him to love me. Holly jokes that with open adoption, at least you know what the birth mother is doing, that she's busy at school and not conceiving a plot to steal her child back. It's not so with closed adoptions. The birth mother is powerfully absent. But an open process forces an adoptive parent to confront the pain that adoption is built on. There's one point in the essay where she talks about open and closed adoptions, and she says for regarding a closed adoption that the birth mother is powerfully absent. Um, I've never thought of it from that point of view. For me, I had a great upbringing and a wonderful mother and father and never felt that I was lacking anything. But how moving that she could help me get to a place where I realized that my birth mother was powerfully absent. For her, she likely felt very absent from that. And maybe that's something that she wanted, but um, that was really moving to me. And openness for Holly does not mean merely letting the birth mother know about her child. It means cultivating a real love between birth parents and child. This requires exceptional commitment, which may be why some open adoptions become closed in the end. I love Holly for sharing such things with me, sentiments that show she's devoted to our relationship and not because it is easy for her. And I have told her that a pivotal point in my grief was the moment I was able to say aloud that I wanted my son back, though I knew it was impossible. When I realized that his adoption had been both my greatest accomplishment and deepest regret. On the modern love, not so simple math, my original response to the essay was just, wow. I was so happy to be able to hear this and appreciative of Podcast Brunch Club for even putting this on my radar and having this topic at all um, this month. This essay really opened my eyes to how my birth mother might be feeling and it's something that I never think about day to day. And I don't think that I understood or understand how much that of a process that she likely goes through day to day. She says at one point, and this is my favorite part of the essay, was adoption was her greatest accomplishment and deepest regret. I have always felt so much love from my birth mother for making this very difficult but selfless act on behalf of me so that I could have a better life than what she felt like she could give. This essay just really helped with um, me to kind of understand where she's coming from, which is like they were talking about a very uncommon thing that their viewpoint isn't seen or heard. I can't imagine if my adoption was open, my life would have been a lot different. I might have seen my parents in a different light. My mom and dad have always been super open about my adoption and told me as much as they knew, but it's minimal. I could write it down in two sentences, really. So the thought of having an open adoption, I can't imagine how difficult that would be for the birth mom and my adopted mom. 
it would have been a lot more stress. And just because of who I am, I think I would have taken a lot of that stress on to myself personally. It's like when you stub your toe, you start to limp to protect the toe. And I think of that as adoption. It's like you're adopted and you have certain behaviors to cover up the pain. But the brain compensates, right? So the brain gets used to the limp or the brain gets used to covering up adoptive feelings. And it's this it's this sort of an energetic shutdown. And I do believe like for adoptees that if we can I'm so excited about all this research about neuroplasticity and I, I I do believe there's hope. I've never really seen adoption as trauma, as they speak about in Adoptees On. I think I was pretty confused throughout the whole thing of how much trauma she could attribute to adoption, but I do realize that everybody has a different experience. Since I was adopted at birth and my parents have been super supportive and have told me that I'm adopted from the very beginning, I think this has helped. And I honestly had a kind of a revelation when the author was talking about how she needs to switch in her mind how she views adoption less as trauma and as more as an opportunity. Because I feel very happy and blessed that I've been able to see adoption as an opportunity my entire life. And so there's not been any of this traumatic type results or sequel. I hope you all enjoyed this community commentary episode. Final reminder, if you want to lend your voice, send your audio comments to podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. I have put some technical recording tips on the website at podcastbrunchclub.com slash audio tips. Thanks, and happy listening. (laughs) 